For reasons that I hope will become clear, we'll read the whole of the chapter. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations of the earth shall all you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brothers, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed." Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. 
But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray briefly once again. We bless you, O God, and ask now for light from heaven in our hearts and in your word that we might read, hear, believe, embrace and rejoice what is spoken here concerning the promises which we inherit in Christ Jesus. Lord, prepare our hearts to worship you in in hearing now and then at the Lord's Supper in a few moments' time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If I say to you the word logic, what do you think? Logic. Cold, hard, dry. Maybe you know some of them. He's just a logical man. No real feeling no real uh, empathy. He just goes through the, 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 the stages of his formula and he rolls out the end, whatever the answer is. Maybe you say, well, no, I'd want to be a bit more positive. Logic, I, I think of as it's bright, it's sharp, it's crisp, but it's, uh, it's got a bit of a cutting edge. It just pushes forward, it slices through every problem and it, it, it does its job but it can leave a few cuts and slices behind. How many of you, when I speak of logic, think of something that is sweet, something that is secure, something that is comforting? I want to speak to you tonight about gospel logic, which is glorious. Paul loves gospel logic. It struck me the other day, and it comes out to some extent clearly in in an English translation. Sometimes it it hits you if you're trying to read in in the Greek, because uh, especially if you're not very good in the Greek, you have to think about each word that comes along. And Paul's logic is impeccable. He's a man who loves the way that the truth of God, the plan and the purpose of God, holds together. And so if you work your way through this chapter, and again it it comes out in particular places. Read, for example, verses 10 to 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, but that no one is justified, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's logic. This, therefore that... And so this, but not this, and yet that, in order that therefore this might be the consequence together with this. There is gospel logic. He does it again toward the end of this chapter in verses 20, 
uh, verse 29 in particular. And if you are Christ's, and if, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now this gospel logic, sweet, secure and comforting, is very necessary for the Galatians. They needed a healthy dose of this because they were under pressure. The churches in Galatia had heard the good news of Jesus Christ as the one who had accomplished all that was needful for them, had performed perfectly the law of God in their place so that trusting him who had suffered the curse on their behalf. They had been brought out from under the curse on account of their sin and they had been accepted with God through Jesus Christ. And then certain Jews had come in amongst them. And the pressure was such that even the Apostle Peter, who of all men should have known about the freeness of God's salvation. After all, this was the man who first preached the gospel to the Gentiles when he spoke to Cornelius. Even Peter is drawn aside and begins to teach that the Galatians who are not Jews, need to live like Jews in order to get near to God, that they need to be circumcised, that they need to be followers then of the whole law. In other words, that they need to become sons of Abraham in order to know the blessings of Abraham's God. And Paul is trying to make clear, amongst other things, that neither a Jew nor a Greek or a, a Gentile, obtains blessings from God by works righteousness. In fact, Paul says here what he says in Romans, Abraham himself did not obtain righteousness by working. Abraham was justified by his faith in God before he could be considered a Jew in terms of some of those outward marks. Abraham was a believer Abraham obtained his blessings by faith. And so with this impeccable gospel logic, Paul builds his case by connecting in chapter 3 Abraham and the promises that God made to Abraham with Jesus Christ. And then he connects the Galatians to Jesus Christ. And he draws together the threads of his argument here in verse 29. And if, then, and. And that's Paul's gospel logic. The supposition, and if you are Christ's. The affirmation, then you are Abraham's seed. And the conclusion, and heirs according to the promise. My friends, you and I, if we are believers in God and in his Christ, we are here tonight secure and safe under the umbrella of this same gospel logic. So let's begin then with this supposition, this suppose. And if you are Christ's. Now this is the simple reality, this is the basic relationship which changes everything in Paul's gospel equation. In the original, again, Christ's is one word. If you are of Christ, that's the very heart of salvation. 
And it is opposed to all of the kinds of distinctions that the Jews and the Judaizers in Galatia, these legalists, would have demanded in order for you to think, well, maybe then I stand a chance. Maybe I can have peace with God. Maybe I can attain to this kind of standing. Paul says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That is no longer what matters. There is neither slave nor free. That relationship does not change your status before God. There is neither male nor female. That does not make any difference to your standing with God. Those things and and so many others like them have no relevance in salvation. And there's great comfort even in knowing that, both in terms of understanding that we are not kept out and, in fact, there's nothing to stop us coming in. For so often, uh, these uh, strange notions are imposed upon us. And even as churches, we can fall into thinking that someone is more or less qualified in some way to be a Christian. And Paul says, no, No, it's not your heritage, it's not your culture, it's not your age, it's not your legal status, it's not your relationship to a master or to a slave, it's not even your gender. And all of those things the Jews would have put great stock by. So much so, and you've heard me say before that there are recorded prayers of some of the Pharisees waking up in the morning and thanking God that they're not Gentiles, that they're not slaves, and that they're not women. As if that somehow entitles them to something that God can promise. Christ, Christ is the one, through faith in him, who makes these Galatians, all of them who are trusting, sons of God of God the women are sons of God the men are sons of God that's not gender confusion that's status relationship, entitlement it doesn't matter whether you were a Jew by birth and circumcised the eighth day and you don't need to be circumcised in order to come to God it doesn't matter if you're a slave or a free man if you are Christ's. My friends, that's the sweetest designation that can be imposed upon any one of us. If you want one adjective that's worth clinging to, one title that you should yearn for, one thing to which you should aspire, it should be this, that you might be able to say, I am his and he is mine. Because if I am Christ's, then everything changes. Now, what does it mean to be Christ's? It means to trust in him. And so to be united to him by faith. So that you are one in Christ Jesus. He is the head. You have become part of the body, one of its members. He is the cornerstone. You are one of the living stones that makes up the temple. You come into union and communion with him. And if you wish to be Christ's, then you must turn your back upon your sin and trust him. Take him as he is. 
Embrace him as he is offered to you in the scriptures. Receive him in all that he is and all that he does. Call upon the name of the Lord to cleanse you from your sin through his shed blood and to clothe you in his righteousness that you might be acceptable with God. And there is nothing to add. There is no more to do. It's not then a matter of entering into a complex system of rules and regulations by which either you get to God or stay near to God. To be Christ's is transformative. So Paul, a man who once had laboured long and hard to prove himself worthy of God, can say in chapter 2 and verse 20 of this epistle, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the language of a man who is Christ's. And Paul looks at these Galatians, people who before he became a Christian he would have despised as dogs and unclean. People who, had they not only been Gentiles, but also claiming to follow Jesus Christ, Paul would have persecuted to the ends of the earth. And now he says, if we are Christ's, something has happened to all of us that binds us together and holds us to each other in relation to our God. And this is the first step in this conclusive gospel logic. If you are Christ's. Now, where there's an if, what should follow on in terms of logic? Thank you. If, then. We know that. That's how it should work. And that's how it does work in gospel terms as well. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. At which point today, many of us might be scratching our heads and saying, well, who was Abraham and what on earth does it mean to be his seed? But in Galatia, whether or not you were a Jew or one of these Gentile believers who's being hammered away at by the Jews, to be Abraham's seed, to be Abraham's descendant, is to be everything. Because it was almost woven into the fabric of Jewish thinking that to be a descendant of Abraham was what brought you into relationship with God. That's why the Gentiles are the outsiders. The Jews are the insiders, for they are descended from Abraham and that physical line of descent is the claim and the boast and now the demand of the Jews we're the true Israel and if you want to get close to God then you need to be more like us it's our privilege says the Jew to be a true descendant of Abraham and if you want to enter in then you need to become effectively an Abrahamist or an Abrahamite in some way. Now, how does Paul respond to that? Well, he's already begun to do so through the whole of this chapter, especially in the middle section. So notice chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. And he doesn't say, and to seeds, 
as to men, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So Paul is now going back into the history of God's dealings with Abraham. And he says, when God made promises to Abraham, there at the beginning of the Israelite nation, before Abraham even had a son according to promise, God had said to Abraham, I will bless you and your seed. Not your seeds, but your seed. There's a very specific individual who will come after you, and in him, O Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so, says, says Paul, we have this logic. God made promises to Abraham and to his seed. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to be able to trace the line of blessing all the way down into and through and from one particular seed. And we now know that that seed is the Son of God in the flesh, Jesus, who is the Christ, this one descendant. And if you are Christ's and Christ is the seed, then you are Abraham's seed. So you can think of it, well, I am Christ's, but now I need to work back because Christ is from Abraham. And the line of promise and the line of blessing runs down from Abraham into Christ. But now I am in Christ. I belong to Abraham, to, to Christ. That means that I get to be Abraham's descendant in this way. And it's that whole logic of faith. Abraham was a believer. He was the father of the faithful. I too have believed God as Abraham did. That's my likeness to Abraham. Not physical descent, but faith like his. And believing into Christ Trusting in God's Saviour as Abraham did, relying on the promises of God as Abraham did, I now am in Christ the true seed of Abraham. If I'm united to Christ, then I am really that seed. And I am now related to Abraham, not by blood. That's no longer relevant. But by likeness of faith. So in chapter 3 and verse 7, therefore, there's your logic, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And that's devastating for a Jew who's rested all his hopes upon being a physical descendant of Abraham, but does not share the faith of Abraham. It's devastating because all of a sudden there are people who aren't true Jews who are now the sons of Abraham. Or verse 9. So then those who are of faith, those are the ones who are blessed with believing Abraham. It's a paradigm shift. People who believe. People who believe God, who believe the promises of God, who trust in the Christ of God who embrace the saving purposes of God like Abraham did and who live in the light of that faith the way Abraham did. Those are the true descendants of Abraham. 
Those are the true sons of God. That is true Israel. See, Paul's logic doesn't say, no, Abraham didn't get any promises. Paul's logic doesn't say we need to somehow disconnect Abraham and this seed. We need to prove that the logic is false, that the argument falls apart. Paul says, no, all of those things, that's what we're relying upon. We're not denying or downplaying the fact that God made promises to Abraham. We are emphasising that those promises were made and they were made to Abraham and to his seed. And his seed is Christ's. And we are Christ's and so we are the seed of Abraham. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and the conclusion that follows the affirmation heirs according to the promise. You see, Abraham received promises. Again, go back to verses 8 and 9. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Even more explicitly, in verses 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Or verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, through Moses, which was 430 years later, cannot annul, cannot undo and sweep away the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. There's something delightfully childlike in Paul's gospel logic. Boys and girls, when, when you want something, that you're pretty sure dad or mum gave you an assurance you could have, what do you say when you go and find them? But you said... But you said this. I know the words that you used. And if you promised me this, then you are obliged. There's a sense of natural justice almost. If you said you'd do it, you've got to do it, or it's just not right, and it's just not fair. And they're right. If you've said it, if you've promised it, you've bound yourself. And Paul says the same is true of God. You can go to the Lord God of heaven and you can say, but, but you said this. You said this to Abraham. And here's Paul's logic as it runs down through history. God made certain promises. I've got to reach quite high to get all this now. God made certain promises to Abraham. And then from Abraham came Isaac and Jacob. And out of them came then this nation. 
430 years after the promise was given to Abraham through Isaac and then Jacob, this nation is there in Israel. And God brings them out of Israel and he gives them the law. And the law then is this schoolmaster. The law is this preserving and teaching framework to bring them to Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, but that period there, after 430 years, the law is... That doesn't annul the promise. That doesn't mean that God changed his mind. Now what you've got now is this system and this structure whereby God preserves his people and down through Moses and down through David and in the testimony of the prophets, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the seed. And when the seed comes, you don't need the school teacher anymore because you're no longer a slave. You're no longer under instruction. You've become a son. You've entered into the family of God. And so the apostle says, follow my logic, because you are now in this gospel state. You're one of the seed. You're in Christ. And that promise that was made to Abraham reaches down all through the period of the law and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if you are in him, then you are Abraham's seed. And the promises that were made to Abraham, that is your inheritance as a child of God. Regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're male or female, bond or free, whatever else may be imposed as a reason why you're further or nearer to God, No, if you are in Christ by faith, you are a son of God. And if you're a son of God because you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You're a son of Abraham in the truest sense because you enjoy the same faith as he received and it operates the same way as it operated in him and it secures the same righteousness which he possessed and it brings you into the same relationship with God which Abraham had. It is not then any physical descent. Who is going to inherit in accordance with the promises made to Abraham, everyone who is Christ's, because they are Abraham's seed. It is not then by physical birth. It is not by law-keeping. It is not by the, the works of the law. It is spiritual descendants. It is faith in Christ Jesus. And those who believe being Christ's, are truly Abraham's seed and heirs, inheritors, according to the promise. Now, the promise. What does it mean to be an heir of the promise? You can run this in so many different directions. Abraham was promised a land. Abraham was promised a king. Abraham was promised a people. And if we are Baptists and we understand that that's fulfilled on two wonderful levels because Abraham's descendants got a land. Abraham's descendants got a king. Abraham's descendants were the people of God under the old covenant. But God fulfilled that in a yet more glorious way. There is now a true Israel of God. And there is now a king, Davidic, but beyond David, as Solomon excelled David in some of his glory, so we have a Christ who excels all others. And a land, the meek are going to inherit 
the earth. Our promises that we inherit through Christ from Abraham, they are divine in their scope. They glow with all the beauty and majesty of the new covenant provision. A renewed world, a heavenly king, a glorious company. Or you can, you can look at some of what is spoken of here in Galatians and you can say, well, there's a promise to Abraham and that means that we are justified. By faith in Jesus Christ, God declares us to be righteous in his sight. And having declared us to be righteous in his sight, having taken out of the way the enmity of the law, having swept away the curse by imposing it upon his beloved son, Jesus Christ, and taking that out of the equation, now we stand accepted in the beloved, clothed in his righteousness, able to enjoy the smile of our loving Father in heaven, and entering into that peace, which means there is no longer any enmity between us and God and because of that we are adopted yes we are sons of God we're no longer outsiders and, and no Jew even at the height of his powers can say that we don't belong no we've been brought in the middle wall of separation has been broken down in Jesus Christ and now both Jew and Greek approach on precisely the same basis and together enter into the family of God. And we are sanctified. We are set apart to God. We are his people. And he is our God. And he continues to work in us. Likeness not to Abraham. But to Abraham's seed. We have the faith that Abraham had. We have the Christ for whom Abraham was looking. We have those things, if you go into Galatians, the things for which Abraham was waiting. We're receiving them. And we're going to enter together with him into the consummation. There is a time coming, brothers and sisters, when we shall sit down with whom? With Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. They are not going to be ahead of us, neither we ahead of of them but caught up together in Christ Jesus all the spiritual benefits then that were promised to and shadowed through Abraham life everlasting so that that man died in the expectation that he would see God the new creation that is promised or perhaps the very nub and the heart of it Abraham I am your shield I am your exceeding great reward and I think that's really what it comes down to what does the apostle the same man say in Romans chapter 8 that we are heirs of God God is our portion God is our inheritance and joint heirs together with Christ Abraham's seed in whom the promises come to all their fruition and in whom having believed we now stand as the true seed of Abraham one one person one Christ with all his people in and with him 
And God dealing with us on the basis of the promises he made to Abraham, which are yes and are men in Christ Jesus, that God himself is our portion. God our shield, our exceedingly great reward. And because Christ is Abraham's seed, and because God made unshakable promises to Abraham, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, a lot hangs on that supposition, doesn't it? If you are Christ's, affirmation, then you are Abraham's seed, conclusion, and heirs according to the promise. Now, in Paul's reasoning... He's speaking to believers in Galatia. So the supposition borders on a proper assumption. If you're a Christian, you could almost say, because you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. My friends, if you're here tonight with that happy if resonating in your experience, with all the certainty, all the sureness, all the sweetness, all the happiness of being Christ's, then you are secure in the grip of gospel logic. And it's not cold, it's not hard, and it's not dull, and neither is it merely sharp and bright and gleaming and crisp and clinical. It's warm, it's sweet, it's sure, it's secure. It's comforting. It is assuring. Because if you are Christ's, then you are the seed of Abraham. And all the promises that God made to Abraham that have been fulfilled in Christ are yours because you are his. If you are Christ's. Are you on the other side of that equation though this evening? saying, in effect, if I were Christ's, that would be mine. But I am not. I'm on the other side of the if. If I'm not Christ's, then I am no seed of Abraham, and I have no such inheritance. Then you are indeed miserable. For at this point in time, outside of Christ... You are outside of those promises, outside of that inheritance, outside of that kingdom, outside of that blessing, outside of that favour. Where does that leave you? It leaves you where every Jew would be and every Gentile would be until the gospel is preached. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We've already said, this is the simple reality which changes everything. And you tonight can step into, inside this gospel logic by casting yourself now upon Jesus 
Christ. There is nothing for you to do. There is no work for you to accomplish. There is no inheritance that you need to perform. There is no ritual through which you need to pass. There is the simple act of dependence upon Jesus Christ as he is offered to you here this evening as the one who suffered God's curse, who fulfilled God's law, who accomplished all righteousness, who died in the place of sinners. And the moment you trust in him, then you are locked into the sweetness and sureness of God's own gospel logic. Because if then you are Christ's, then you have become Abraham's seed. And you are an heir of the promises that God has made. Do not hold back this evening. Do not wait at a distance. Come to God through Christ. Enter into this glorious covenant by faith. The faith which Christ himself has purchased at Calvary. Call upon him to make you his own. To bring you near. To bind you in. To unite you to himself by faith. That you may be a son of God indeed. Be baptised in testimony of your belonging to him. And it does not matter who you are or what you have done or where you have been. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is not male nor female in Christ Jesus. You are one in him. Come into Christ. Because if you are his, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to God's promise. Amen.